Everyone loves a good family mystery, especially one with as many twists and turns as June's journey. Step into the role of June Parker and search for hidden clues to uncover the mystery of her sister's murder. Find hidden clues and uncover a murder mystery. Solve mind-teasing mysteries of the Roaring Twenties. Engage your sense of observation to find hidden clues. Search for hidden objects from the parlors of New York to the sidewalks of Paris and uncover a collection of dazzling hidden object spectacles for you to solve. We're all here because we love true crime, right? Well, this game has the perfect twists and turns to keep your brain asking, what happened here? There's nothing I love more than getting to decorate my very own luxurious state island. The best part? You can chat and play with or against other players by joining a detective club. Can you crack the case? Download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. Hello, listeners. I'm your host, Amara, and this is Black Girl Gone, a true crime podcast. On this episode of Black Girl Gone, we tell the story of 22-year-old Sparkle Rye, who was murdered on April 26, 2000, in her apartment in Union City, Georgia. A month before, Sparkle had gotten married and had a five-month-old daughter. The day that she was murdered, her husband came home and found her covered in blood. She had been strangled and stabbed multiple times. Their daughter was also there, just feet away from her, but unharmed. After Sparkle's murder, suspicion fell on the most obvious suspect, her husband. But for four years, Sparkle's case remained unsolved. That was until a witness came forward and told police something that turned this story in an unbelievable direction. Who killed Sparkle? And why? This is Sparkle's story. The story of what happened to Sparkle in April 2000 is a story that may be familiar to you, especially if you watch a lot of true crime. Her story has been featured on Dateline and TV One show ATL Homicide. But for me, it was a story that I wanted to tell, especially for those who have never heard about what happened to her, because there are lessons to be learned from Sparkle's death. And it shows that racism and bigotry aren't just an opinion or an ideology. And when people are consumed by it, they will do anything. Sparkle was born Sparkle Reed on March 23rd, 1978. She lived with her father, Bennett, and her younger sister, Keisha, in Atlanta, Georgia. I couldn't find any information about Sparkle's birth mom, but when she was 16, her dad met a woman named Donna who had a daughter of her own. Bennett and Donna got married a year after they met, and they all moved in together in a home in Atlanta. Donna said that they were one big happy family. Her daughter, who was seven at the time, adored her older new sisters, and the girls loved her and Donna. For some people, when dating someone with teenagers, it can be hard to connect with them, but Donna got lucky, and Sparkle and Keisha became like her daughters, too. In high school, Sparkle was a cheerleader, and after graduating, she got a scholarship to college where she majored in accounting. Although she had always been a good student, as evidenced by the scholarship she received— Once she got to college, 
Sparkle got a little distracted. Her social life got a little too social, and eventually she lost her scholarship and was forced to drop out of college. When she called her parents to tell them that she had lost her scholarship, like most parents, they were disappointed, but they were still going to support her. Sometimes things just don't work out, and at 18, 19 years old, it's really easy to get off track, but God willing, there's always time to get it together. Now, Bennett told Sparkle that if she was going to come back home, then she was going to have to get a job and contribute. But she had other plans. She told her parents that she was going to go to Louisville, Kentucky, where her grandmother and aunt were living. She said that they told her that she could come out there to stay, and she already had a job lined up at a hotel. Adana told Dateline in an interview in 2009 that After being away from home for two years, Sparkle just wasn't ready to trade her independence and to live with her parents again. And so in the summer of 1998, she moved to Louisville, Kentucky. And once in Louisville, Sparkle began working at a travel lodge hotel. She worked at the front desk, checking guests in and out, and she seemed to enjoy what she did. But as she began to settle into her new life in Louisville, a new love would take her life in a different direction. Rajiv Rai, 18 at the time, who went by Ricky, was Sparkle's manager. Now, you might be thinking, 18 is really young to be managing a hotel. But Ricky's dad owned the hotel and had given his son the responsibility of managing the business for him. Ricky was originally from Mississippi, and that's where his parents had lived. Ricky had hired Sparkle, but Not long after she started working there, their professional relationship turned romantic, and the two started dating. Now, things between the couple began to move really fast, and before anyone knew, Ricky and Sparkle were head over heels in love. But for Ricky, his relationship with Sparkle was problematic. Not because he was her manager, but because he was Indian, and he knew that his parents would have an issue with him dating a black woman. So he tried his best to keep his two lives separate. He told Sparkle that he didn't have a good relationship with his parents, but it's not clear if he ever fully explained to her that they would have an issue with her being Black. But after months of keeping their relationship from his family, somehow they found out. And when they did, they were not happy. They wanted Ricky to stop dating Sparkle immediately, but he refused. They had fallen in love, and Ricky had decided that he was not going to allow his parents to dictate his life or who he loved, and so he chose Sparkle. Now, when going back through this story 22 years later, it's hard to pinpoint exact timelines, but as Sparkle and Ricky's relationship continued, so did his riff with his family. Now, that Christmas, Sparkle came back home to spend the holiday with her family, And she had given her stepmom, Donna, a designer bag, and she had said that her boyfriend had helped her pick it out. And that's when they learned that Ricky and Sparkle were more than just co-workers. Now, for Sparkle's family, they had some reservations about this new boy that she was dating, but they trusted her judgment. And from what she said, he was a really nice guy. She did reveal to her parents that he was kind of the black sheep of the family, I mean, he had four brothers and sisters who had all gone on to earn advanced degrees, but Ricky was a college dropout. And for his father, who had been a college professor before becoming a businessman, this was unacceptable. 
Now, she admitted to Donna that his family wasn't really happy that they were dating. But Donna figured that it was just kind of a parent thing, you know, them being overprotective of their teenage son. She had no idea that their issue was much deeper and much darker. Now, two months later, in February 1999, Donna and Bennett got a call from their daughter with some unexpected news. She was pregnant. Now, neither of them were really happy about this news. I mean, they both felt that Sparkle was too young to be a mom, and Ricky, at just 18, was even younger. Donna told Dateline that they were concerned. You know, young, unwed, college dropouts— For her parents, the timing was just wrong, but Sparkle was in love. That was clear. And she was excited about being a mom. And although they were not happy, they supported Sparkle. Ricky's parents, however, were not happy at all. They were angry, and their resentment towards Sparkle began to grow. But again, Ricky wasn't going to allow his parents to stop him from being with Sparkle. And in May 1999, the couple moved back to Atlanta so that they could be closer to Sparkle's family. Whatever reservations that her parents had had about Ricky disappeared when they met the young man. It was obvious that he cared a lot about their daughter. He doted on Sparkle. He was always checking on her and making sure she was comfortable, pulling her chair out. I mean, Sparkle was so happy, and her parents were happy for her. Ricky's parents continued to keep their distance, but it didn't seem to really affect the young couple. They had plenty of support from Sparkle's family. Not long after moving to Atlanta, the couple moved to Columbus, Georgia. Bennett, Sparkle's dad, had a cousin who owned a store there, and he hired Ricky to work for him. Over the next few months, Sparkle got ready for the baby, who they found out would be a girl. And Bennett and Donna traveled to Columbus on the weekends to visit and help them get ready for the new baby. In October 1999, Sparkle gave birth to a healthy baby girl that they named Anala, which means fiery one in Hindu. Both Ricky and Sparkle were excited to be parents, and Donna said that they were both naturals. She had stayed with the new parents for a few days after the baby was born to offer an extra hand, but... They had adjusted to their new roles really well. Ricky was changing diapers and waking up for nighttime feedings. For Bennett and Donna, they were just happy that after a few hiccups, it seemed like everything was working out for Sparkle. She was happy, she had a beautiful baby, and a boyfriend who loved her. Ricky's parents never came to meet their granddaughter. Now, Sparkle had begun to tell her parents things about Ricky's family that were concerning. When her dad had asked about them getting married, she told him that Ricky's family had chosen an Indian woman for him to marry. She also confided in Donna that at some point, Ricky's family had even offered her $10,000 to stop dating him, and that they blamed her for him not finishing school. His parents had gone to some extreme lengths to break up the couple, but so far, nothing had worked. But rather than accept the life that Ricky had chosen, they doubled down and refused to be a part of their lives. And so Ricky and Sparkle decided that they were going to get married. And they began to plan for a small ceremony that would take place on March 21st, 2000. 
By this time, it appears that the couple had moved to Union City, Georgia. However, when they moved isn't exactly clear. But a few months before the couple's wedding, Ricky told his wife that his father had died. Ricky said that his father had suffered from some sort of illness and had died unexpectedly. Now, the news came as a complete shock to Sparkle and her parents. They had never met Ricky's dad, but knowing the state of their relationship, it was sad that he had died so suddenly. Sparkle told her parents the sad news and that Ricky would be going to India for his dad's funeral with his mom. Sparkle, of course, would not be going with him. Now, he was gone for a few days, but when Ricky returned from India, another tragedy struck. Ricky said that his mom had stayed behind in India and was at her brother's house when a tornado hit the area where they were, and his mom and his uncle had been killed. It seemed to be a devastating end to what had been a tumultuous relationship between Ricky and his parents. Sparkle's family felt terrible for Ricky, but his loss brought them all closer together. On March 21st, Ricky and Sparkle got married in a small ceremony. Donna recalled how bad she felt for Ricky because none of his family, including his siblings, attended the wedding. He was all alone with no support. But what started off as a day filled with love and happiness took a turn when Bennett got a call from his cousin Walter with some unsettling information. After the ceremony, as they got ready to go back to Sparkle and Ricky's home for the reception, Bennett's cousin called him and told him that Ricky's mom had called the store looking for him. Now, maybe Walter was mistaken because Ricky's mom was dead. I mean, that's what he had told them. I mean, Bennett was very confused, and when he told Donna, she was confused too. She asked Bennett, I mean, why would Ricky lie about that? Neither of them knew why, but they decided to confront him about it right in front of Sparkle. They asked him about his mom being alive, and at first, Ricky adamantly denied that his mom was alive and that he had lied. But when Bennett told him that his mom had called the store, Ricky admitted that he had lied. His mom was alive, and so was his dad. Sparkle was speechless. She asked Ricky why he lied. He didn't have a response. And the fact that he had lied about his parents being dead was disturbing. And it changed the way Bennett and Donna saw their new son-in-law. Not only had he lied, he lied about his parents being dead. But they were not the only ones upset. Sparkle was too. She couldn't believe that he had lied to her. And so she decided to go with the baby to stay at her parents' house. She was too hurt to stay at home with Ricky and needed somewhere to clear her head. Now, Sparkle's aunt decided that the rise needed to know what was happening, and she decided to call Ricky's family and tell them about the marriage. When Ricky found out, he was livid. He called Sparkle's aunt, screaming at her for calling them. But now the truth was out. Sparkle knew his parents weren't dead, and 
they knew that they had gotten married. Maybe they could just all move on now. Sparkle stayed at her parents' house, but she spoke to Ricky on the phone every day. And after a week, she decided that she was going to go home. Her dad wasn't happy about it. And he asked her how she could go back after he lied. But she said that she wanted to give the relationship another chance for the sake of their daughter. But Sparkle also still loved Ricky. Her parents didn't want her to go back, but they continued to support her. But just four weeks later, Sparkle was dead. And her family's journey for truth and justice would take them down a long road to an unimaginable conclusion. Four weeks before she was found brutally murdered, 22-year-old Sparkle Rye found out that her husband of a few hours had lied about his parents being dead. Despite his lie, Sparkle took him back, and the couple tried to reconcile. But on April 26, Sparkle and Ricky found their lives turned upside down. After moving back to her apartment with Ricky, it seems as if Sparkle was ready to move past this part of their lives. It was probably clear to her at that point that she would never have a relationship with her in-laws, but Ricky had chosen her over them, and so she wanted to be with her husband. April 26 had started off as a normal day. Ricky went to work, and Sparkle stayed home with Nala, who by that time was five months old. It had been a few weeks since Ricky dropped the bombshell that he had lied about his parents' death, and although Sparkle had forgiven him, her dad Bennett had now lost any trust that he had in Ricky. But when Ricky returned from work that evening, he made a horrifying discovery. Inside their apartment, he found Sparkle unconscious and bleeding from multiple stab wounds. Her daughter was just feet away, unharmed physically. Now, Ricky called 911 and Bennett, who rushed over to his daughter's apartment. Ricky also called Donna and told her that Sparkle had been attacked. Now, she had no idea what had happened or what he meant by attacked, but the last thing that she thought was that she was dead. Donna said that Ricky was sobbing on the phone and told her that she needed to get over to the apartment now. By the time Donna got there, Bennett was already there, and so were over a dozen police officers. It was obvious that something serious had happened, but she just didn't know what. She said when she got out of the car, Bennett walked up to her and she asked him what happened and was Sparkle okay? And he shook his head no. He told her that Sparkle was dead. She said she had never seen her husband cry before. He told her that someone had come into Sparkle's home and stabbed her and then strangled her. It was unimaginable. How could Sparkle be dead? Who would want to murder her? The police needed to speak to Ricky, and so he gave an to Donna so that he could go to the station. Now, when a woman is murdered, the husband is usually the first suspect, so it wasn't unusual for police to need to speak to him first. But 
For Bennett, his suspicion of Ricky wasn't just because he was the husband. It was because he had shown himself to be a liar. And so he had questions about whether his son-in-law was involved. The murder had been brutal. Sparkle had been stabbed multiple times. Her throat was slit and she had been strangled with the cord of a vacuum cleaner. It looked like a crime of passion. Somebody wanted her dead. There were also no signs of forced entry, which gave police the impression that Sparkle may have known her killer. But what was the motive? Well, it wasn't robbery, according to police, because the house had not been ransacked and nothing had been taken. In fact, Sparkle's purse was found at the apartment, as well as money that had fallen out, but none of it had been taken. Investigators did not find very much evidence, however. No DNA, no fingerprints, nothing. They had found some shoe prints and blood, but without anything to compare them to, that evidence wasn't really helpful. Now, the night of the murder, police brought Ricky in for questioning, but his calm demeanor struck them immediately as odd. Now, people handle grief differently. He could have just been in shock, but investigators described him as emotionless. And Bennett agreed. He told Dateline that Ricky's behavior was odd, that he was just walking around with the baby after the murder, and that he never actually saw Ricky display any emotion that night. At the station, police spoke to Ricky for several hours. Detectives asked him if he had touched Sparkle when he found her, and he told them that he had not. He said that when he found her, she was covered in blood and that he called her name but got no response. He told detectives that when he went to touch her foot, that he heard his daughter cry, and so he turned his attention to the baby. During the interview, the detectives asked him why he didn't run over to check on his wife when he found her covered in blood. And Ricky said, quote, I don't know, because I didn't know what to think at that point. I really didn't know what to think. I had no idea what was going on. But after eight hours of questioning, detectives let Ricky go. They had found his behavior strange, but they had no reason to keep him, and none of the evidence that they had pointed towards him. They did look into his whereabouts, and Ricky had an alibi for the time that the murder was committed. And so they were pretty convinced that Ricky had not committed the murder. But who did commit the murder was going to be difficult for police to figure out. I mean, they never really got any solid leads, and nobody really seemed to know anything. The detectives on the case said that it wasn't long before Sparkle's case went cold. And not long after her murder, Ricky left town and moved to Chicago. But he didn't take his daughter. Instead, he gave custody to Bennett and Donna. He told them that he couldn't give her the future that she deserved. They never saw Ricky again. For a while, he would still call, but eventually the call stopped too. Ricky had decided that he no longer wanted to be in his daughter's life. In Chicago, Ricky started a new life. 
no one there knew about the tragic murder of his wife, and he didn't tell anybody. According to the Atlanta Constitution-Journal, Ricky moved to Chicago and rode a motorcycle, went to Bears games, and bragged about the women he was dating. People who knew Ricky in Chicago said that he never showed the kind of emotions you would expect from someone who had gone through something so horrible. Eventually, he married a woman who was Indian, and they moved to the suburb of Chicago. According to the Atlanta Constitution-Journal, she had no idea what had happened to his first wife when they met. But back in Atlanta, Bennett and Donna were now raising their granddaughter. They said that immediately after the murder, Anala seemed to be in shock. She didn't really cry very much, but then she began to wake up in the middle of the night, screaming hysterically. Bennett and Donna did their best to fill the void left by Sparkle's death and Ricky's absence. And they did what they could to protect her and give her a good life. A year after Sparkle's murder, detectives still had not found her killer. Her father offered a $5,000 reward for information. I mean, they weren't willing to give up finding justice, but for a while, it seemed like justice would never come. As Bennett and Donna entered year four since Sparkle's murder, for many, life had just gone on, but for them, they still wanted to know who killed Sparkle and why. And in 2004, they finally got the break that they needed to find out those answers. In January 2004, after a high-speed chase, police in Atlanta arrested a young woman who said that she had information about Sparkle's murder. Well, she had more than information. She had actually witnessed Sparkle's murder. She told the detectives that she and another young lady who she was friends with had gone with her cousin, Cleveland Clark, who had convinced them to come with him to do what they thought was a drug deal. But once they had gotten to the apartments where Sparkle lived, her cousin told the two girls to get out of the car and knock on the door to see who was inside. Now, they went and knocked on Sparkle's door and then came back to report that there was a young woman there with a baby. He told them to go back to the apartment and knock again, and this time asked to use the bathroom. But this time, Cleveland went with them, and he stood behind the girls while they knocked. And when Sparkle opened the door, Cleveland followed the girls inside. She said that Cleveland then asked the woman who answered the door if her name was Sparkle. And when she confirmed, Cleveland attacked her knocking her to the ground and strangling her with a vacuum cleaner cord. He then got a knife and began stabbing her repeatedly. When he was done, he made the girls promise not to say anything. And for four years, they didn't. And after the murder, they said that they stopped at a local supermarket where Cleveland picked up a wire transfer from Western Union. And the next day... The young woman said that she heard her cousin on the phone with a man, and he said, quote-unquote, it's done. The information that detectives had received was shocking. The woman who told police this information had been arrested by Atlanta PD, 
who then contacted the detectives working on Sparkle's murder. They met with her, and they were able to also meet with the friend, and she corroborated the story. They ended up finding Cleveland Clark also. He was a convicted felon who happened to be in jail in Mississippi at the time. Detectives went to speak to him, but he refused to talk. Now, they had no idea how he was connected to Sparkle or why he would have wanted to kill her. But based on the information from his cousin and her friend, it sounded to them like he had been hired by someone to kill Sparkle. But with Cleveland not talking to detectives, they had to try to piece together this mystery with the information that they did have. After the murder, Cleveland's cousin said that they stopped to pick up money that had been sent by Western Union. And so armed with that detail, detectives were able to go back and find the transactions and who they were sent by. And they actually found three transfers, one for $400, one for $500, and one for $600. And they were all sent by the same man, Willie Evans, a 74-year-old man who lived in Jackson, Mississippi. The payments had been sent on April 16th, 19th, and 24th. But who was Willie Green, and how was he connected to Sparkle? After learning Willie's identity, detectives made contact with him. But Willie, at first, didn't want to cooperate with detectives. But the detectives on the case told Dateline that after he told Willie that he knew that he was lying, Willie decided that he wanted to talk. He started calling the detective leaving messages, and the detective said that he could tell that Willie was becoming a little bit more frantic with each message. Now, when the detective got back in touch with Willie, he had changed his tune, and he now wanted to meet the detective. And so he arranged to meet with him, but he was also going to bring a friend of his named Herbert Green another man that did not seem to have any connection to Sparkle. So who was he, and what did he have to do with Sparkle's murder? She said that Cleveland then asked the woman who answered the door if her name was Sparkle. And when she confirmed, Cleveland attacked her, knocking her to the ground and strangling her with a vacuum cleaner cord. He then got a knife and began stabbing her repeatedly. When he was done, he made the girls promise not to say anything. And for four years, they didn't. And after the murder, they said that they stopped at a local supermarket where Cleveland picked up a wire transfer from Western Union. And the next day, the young woman said that she heard her cousin on the phone with a man, and he said, quote-unquote, it's done. The information that detectives had received was shocking. The woman who told police this information had been arrested by Atlanta PD, who then contacted the detectives working on Sparkle's murder. They met with her, and they were able to also meet with the friend, and she corroborated the story. They ended up finding Cleveland Clark also. He was a convicted felon who happened to be in jail in Mississippi at the time. Detectives went to speak to him, but he refused to talk. Now, they had no idea how he was connected to Sparkle or why he would have wanted to kill her. But 
Based on the information from his cousin and her friend, it sounded to them like he had been hired by someone to kill Sparkle. But with Cleveland not talking to detectives, they had to try to piece together this mystery with the information that they did have. After the murder, Cleveland's cousin said that they stopped to pick up money that had been sent by Western Union. And so armed with that detail, detectives were able to go back and find the transactions and who they were sent by. And they actually found three transfers, one for $400, one for $500, and one for $600. And they were all sent by the same man, Willie Evans, a 74-year-old man who lived in Jackson, Mississippi. The payments had been sent on April 16th, 19th, and 24th. But who was Willie Green, and how was he connected to Sparkle? After learning Willie's identity, detectives made contact with him. But Willie, at first, didn't want to cooperate with detectives. But the detectives on the case told Dateline that after he told Willie that he knew that he was lying, Willie decided that he wanted to talk. He started calling the detective leaving messages, and the detective said that he could tell that Willie was becoming a little bit more frantic with each message. Now, when the detective got back in touch with Willie, he had changed his tune, and he now wanted to meet the detective. And so he arranged to meet with him, but he was also going to bring a friend of his named Herbert Green. Another man that did not seem to have any connection to Sparkle. So who was he and what did he have to do with Sparkle's murder? Now, before the meeting, the detective looked into Herbert Green's background to see exactly who he was. And that's when they found a familiar connection. Herbert Green had been a longtime friend and business partner of Ricky's father, Chiman Rye. The same father, Ricky had told Sparkle, had died. Now, he was, of course, alive and well, and he was living in Jackson, Mississippi. And so was Herbert. Now, when detectives met with the two men, they told the men that they had one option. Tell the truth about their connection to Chiman, or they were going to jail. Now, facing jail time, the men began to tell detectives exactly what happened and who was involved. Herbert told them that in April 2000, Chiman had approached him about having his daughter-in-law killed. He told Herbert that the girl was causing him problems and he needed her killed. Now, Herbert agreed to help Chiman, and so he contacted Willie, who then contacted Cleveland Clark, who agreed to commit the murder for $10,000. Achievement agreed to give Cleveland $1,500 in upfront money. And so he gave the cash to Herbert along with a note that had Ricky and Sparkle's address on it. Herbert then gave it to Willie, who gave it to Cleveland. And Cleveland, who had an aunt in Atlanta, took the money and the note that same day and left and headed to Atlanta. Now, over the next week, Cleveland and Willie continued to communicate, and they spoke on the phone several times. Cleveland would call to report on his progress, and at first, he was having trouble accessing the apartment because of the security gates. But 
On the day of the murder, he called to say that he had two girls that were going to help him. After detectives speak to Herbert and Willie, they are sure that they have finally got their killer. And the person responsible was her father-in-law, Chiman Rai. But they needed more. And so Herbert agreed after their conversation to meet with Chiman and wear a hidden camera so that police could record the conversation. And so Chiman and Herbert met at a hotel. And during their meeting, he told him that Atlanta PD was in Jackson asking questions about a murdered girl in Atlanta. Herbert told Chiman that he needed $5,000 so that he could get away for a little while. He told them that the police had been to his house twice, but that he hadn't talked to them yet, and asked him what he should say to them when he did. And Chiman told him that he didn't know. And Herbert said that if he went to jail, then Chiman was going to jail too. And he responded, well, if we have to go to jail, we have to go to jail. He told Herbert that he didn't have $5,000, but did agree to give him $500. Detectives had hoped to get more out of Chiman, but what they had was enough. And in September 2006, Chiman Rai was arrested and charged with murder. He was indicted along with Cleveland Clark, Herbert Green, and Willie Evans. The state was seeking the death penalty against Chiman. In 2008, Chiman's trial began. And for the prosecution, his motive was obvious. Chiman had hired a hitman to kill Sparkle because he didn't want his Indian son to be with a black woman. They had all the evidence that they needed and witnesses willing to testify against him. But not everyone believed that Chiman had committed this crime. There were people that did not believe that he was a racist. Chiman had been a math professor at an HBCU and had never had any issues during his tenure. After teaching, he opened up several businesses and was well known by people in the community. None of them knew him to be a racist. But Working with people of color or teaching Black people or working with them is different than having them become a member of your family. And so prosecutors laid out a case that showed that despite his proximity to Black people, his time teaching and working with them, when his son started dating a Black woman, it was a no-no. And when he found out that they were married, He hired someone to get rid of Sparkle and solve his own problem. The jury sided with the prosecution, and Chiman Rai was convicted on all counts. The jury sentenced him to life in prison without parole. After eight years, justice has finally been served. But it was bittersweet for Bennett and Donna. They were the ones left with the pieces of what Chiman had destroyed. Ricky had moved on, and he was in jail. But they were left to raise a child who had lost both of her parents because her grandfather hated her mother. When Sparkle and Ricky met at that hotel in Louisville, they had no way of knowing what would happen. She couldn't have predicted the series of events that ended with her own father-in-law having her murdered. 
And despite his parents' reservations, Ricky had chosen to be with Sparkle. They were both young, but by all accounts, they were in love, and they were excited about their new baby and their new life. So it's really hard to understand how Ricky could have just left his daughter and never looked back. Bennett and Donna did all that they could to give Sparkle's daughter the life that she couldn't. And after years of wondering, they finally got the answers that they were looking for. It just was something that nobody expected. It's not just about the things that people will do for love. It's also about the things that people will do for hate. May Sparkle Rye rest in peace. Thank you for listening to this week's episode. We'll be back next week with a brand new episode. Make sure you subscribe to the show so you never miss an episode. It also helps our show grow. As always, follow us on Instagram, Twitter, TikTok, and Facebook. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.